Hello and welcome to Purple Pod, the Liberty Rep podcast with me, Madeline, and me, Bronte. The Purple Pod dives into the ever-changing world of theatre headfirst, speaking with industry professionals and up-and-coming writers, directors and performers. We're looking to have a little bit of a chat and transform your ideas about what a podcast about theatre can be. Our guest today is poet, musician, model and creative Sophia Harari. Across an eclectic level of mediums, Sophia creates work surrounding ideas of self-identity and expression. In 2019, Sophia released her 90s noughties neo-inspired single, Go To Hell. And in 2020, she was commissioned by Arnolfini Arts to produce her exhibition piece, Two Worlds Collide, an exploration of her identity as a black Moroccan woman. She has also collaborated with Creative Youth Network on her very own major exhibition, an immersive piece that explores memories of her childhood. Sophia believes a result of diversified mediums is diversified understanding and carries this ethos throughout her creative work. As someone we have been privileged to know since the age of 16, we are absolutely thrilled to welcome Sophia to the Purple Pod today. Hi, Sophia. Uh, Hiya. (laughs) It's so funny hearing you say all those things because it's like you've literally known me (laughs) since I was a kid and now you're just listing these things off and it's just quite funny. It's so formal, isn't it? It's really weird. Yeah. Also, for listeners, I just want to clarify, Sophia is the first guest that, like, tapped out. She was like, video off, sound Literally. off. I'm not playing a part of this. I'm not listening to myself. Honestly, I couldn't do it. Because I, I was actually going to laugh, that's why. Just, like, hearing the, like, professional voices, like, just remembering us messing about, like, singing musical theatre songs on, like, a Monday morning. And then to just be like in this space for you guys, it's really, um, really strange. Yeah. So we're going to start off by asking you, how are you during this lockdown? Lockdown three, I believe. Um, how are you finding it? And what has been keeping you occupied during this shitty time? I don't, lockdown three, when did that start? Was it just like after Christmas or something? I don't know. I don't really know what to say when people ask. So it's like ups and downs because I think... Uh, spending a lot of time with yourself it can be really powerful and help you understand yourself and what you want and what you need from the world but then also it puts you in a space where you can't escape from how you're feeling so there's been times where it's been like quite tough but then like gradually opening it up and like building I don't know rebuilding networks as well has been important just social distance walks and things like that. It's been strange being far away from my family and just like only really being able to communicate via FaceTime. Um, Just like a lot of envy because like my siblings are like growing up and I can't like watch them do those things, those stupid little things that kids do. But it is what it is, I guess. It's a tough one, isn't it? I, I get what you mean with envy and it's wanting to be there and wanting to capture those moments and then mm-hmm. be like, okay, I'm gonna go on my third walk of the day like a rebel. (laughs) For listeners, me, Mads and Sophia all met at college. We all went to Zavarian in Manchester. And I actually didn't know that you did poetry and performance poetry. So how did you first delve into the world of that and how did you find it? I mean, I think I've always written poetry, but then when I was maybe a bit younger, it found its form through raps. 
Um, just like freestyling to reggae music with my family, um, like writing songs, but it always started with just sort of like writing words to express how I was feeling. Um, I used to volunteer at this. This is my f- the first time I performed poetry. Is I volunteered at um, a community cafe in Didsbury called Home, um, and they did um, a poetry night. And I was volunteering. And I was like talking a little bit about writing, um, and I used to like write poems on the post on post-it notes and stick it up on the fridge. And then like my manager was like, Who- "Who's wrote- written these poems?" I was like, "It was me." She was like, "Okay, well we're doing a poetry night. Do you want to perform?" And I was like, "All right then." Um, so this is while we were at college, but I just didn't really tell anyone about it because I was just embarrassed. I was just embarrassed, but I performed there. Um, and then, I don't know if you guys remember when I did the Youth for Refugee event in Dis- in Withington and like inviting poets and inviting performers. And I really wanted to be a part of it, but I, I was just like, right, let's just plan. Let's just organise. Like, I can't, like, this isn't my space to perform. And just trying to, like, get that balance between, like, okay, I've got something that I want to say, but, like, do I feel comfortable or confident enough to say it? Um, But it wasn't really until I went to Brighton when I was 18 that performance started to be something that I considered more seriously instead of just, like, an embarrassing thing that I hit. Um, But I think doing theatre and stuff really helped with that, like, performance element. But it was just, like, a mishmash of loads of different experiences that just gradually brought me to a place where I was like, okay... This is what I want. This is what I want to talk about. This is how I'm going to do it. This is who I'm going to do it too. Type of thing. You mentioned going to Brighton Uni there. So how how did you feel at all that going to Brighton did influence, um, like you like you say your confidence? You were surrounded by like minded people. I think it helped me grow as a performer definitely because in my second year I was well. It's I call it my therapy. I would just I just sit. I've been doing this for a long time. I just sit, play some instrumentals. And then just write songs, just because, like, if I'm feeling sad, feeling a bit heartbroken, I just, like, perform to myself and sometimes record it, sometimes not. But I started recording them more and more. I was like, okay, this is all right. Like, my housemates were like, oh, you're singing in the showers, all right? I was just more inclined to share my work. And then on a night out, some of my friends were there and I was sat outside. I was sat with one of their, like, a mutual friend. And I, we were just talking about music and he was like, yeah, I produce music. And I was like, I sing. We are literally in smoking area. And the music was like really loud from the club and we both just whipped out our earphones and put on like something that we'd made and swapped. So I was just like listening to his like tracks and he was just like listening to my like um, songs over an instrumental. And we were just looking at each other like, yes, this is, this is what needs to happen. And we just like met up and just made music and like every week, every few weeks we'd just make a track and it was just really, really fun and then people were starting to hear it and like asking us to perform so we just like performing the odd gig around Brighton and yeah just being on stage and being like okay this is something that I want to do and I actually have something to say as well and people want to hear it which was, which was not... I don't know, before that I'd just been like writing in a notebook, especially during uni, like in first year, whenever a lecture was boring, I would just like have a page and just write poems or do sketches like for the whole hour instead of listening to a lecturer and just like bringing that into performance was just something that I could only do in that space where I had the freedom to as well. It sounds like it kind of had a natural progression and had a natural development mm-hmm. and you started like, you started with writing, then you went to poetry and then the instrumentals came in and then you all of a sudden 
you're releasing and recording music. Um, (laughs) That's incredible, especially at such a young age. What was that experience like to kind of reflect upon of realising that something that was so insular is now something so collaborative? What was that like to release and record that music and put it out into the world? Um, it was very strange and I didn't I don't think I really realised that it was outside of myself until we did till we did the video because when it was just me and Ben, literally we'd just be sat in his room, just chatting, making a bit of music, taking the piss out of each other, go for a sig, come back and do the same thing for like a few hours and just like chatting, eating food, whatever. So it did still feel it didn't really feel like a like collaborative, creative, like all of those like buzzwords that you hear. It didn't really feel like that. It just felt more just like me and my mate just having a good time. But then making like some nice nice beats as well. Um and then when we did the video we went to London and um, Dixie Moonty, she is a director videographer and um, she was at Ravensbourne, Ra- Ravens, no it must be Ravensbourne, it can't be Ravensclaw, Harry Potter. Um, it's this like arts uni in London and we were just like in this space with all these like young cool like arty kids and we were playing the music and we were like walking around Shoreditch and it was just like, okay, this is not just like me and Ben anymore. It's other people can have an opinion on it and like are able to hear it and able to engage with it. Um, And that was like, it was quite strange. And then now I'm in a place again where, back to the place where I was when I was like a teenager where I'm just, I want to write for me. And then the thought of sharing it again is quite scary because people having opinions on your work, if you're not secure enough in yourself, and how you feel to share it can be quite damaging. And I think like the past year especially, I've just been like putting out work and then, but not feeling completely comfortable with it. And now I'm just at a place where I'm trying to figure it out again. But I suppose it'll be a journey for the rest of my life, I guess. I mean, your track, Go To Hell is, um, it's a tune. I had it on repeat (laughs) um, when it came out. I was just like, "Ah." and what I found really cool is, you know, when you can go on Spotify and say like, share to your story and you can put like the album on the, on your story, like to show like what you're listening to. I do it all the time as if anyone cares, but to have your face and your little (laughs) 70s jumpsuit itself on an, on a single cover was the coolest thing Ever. Me and Sophia, we've always loved our music, haven't we? We know the dance to my girl. <laughs> but my question to you is, what artists have you enjoyed listening to and whether or not they even influenced your, your music? But could you just talk us through like some artists that you've loved growing up and even now? I think growing up, there was a lot of Motown and a lot of reggae. <laughs> Do you know when you, you try and think about music that you like, you're just like what's music <laughs> like what even is music like that's literally where my head is just at now you've asked me but Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell their collaborations just like the energy of like that shared power and joy was always very special Sam Cook, I love Sam Cook. but then it was just it was just always like there's always been music in the background of my life so like they'd, it would always be in the car in my dad's van and it would just there'd just be DVDs playing, just like Reggae Gold 1998. And it's just like, you don't know the song, you don't know the artist, you don't know like the name of the song, but you know every single word. Um, and then you like hear them when you're old and you're just like, how do I know every word to this song right now? And just like sort of rediscovering 
artists that you used to listen to when you were younger. As you girls know, I am obsessed with Lauren Hill. Her energy, like Lauren Hill Unplugged, I think I like heard that album when I was like 13 or 14 and I used to listen to it every night before going to sleep when I was in high school, like every single night. Um, Lauren Hill, Erica Badu, India Ari, Jill Scott, Mahalia, who am I really enjoying now? Do you know what? My little brother Omar, he's 17 years old and he just released a track on Spotify. Um, he's called, his name is K-O-A, K-O-O-A and the song is called My Time, I believe. And I've been listening to that on repeat. My friend Wilfie D just released a new Garage EP and I love a bit of Garage. But it's just really nice to have like people around you releasing music and just like creating sounds and it's just a vibe. I'm not sure about you, Maz, but I was sat here being like, this girl has taste. Yes. It's <laughs> like I can sort of see that neo soul lauren hill inspired sound in your tracks and like just your voice is so soulful and and so it's just a good you've got a gorgeous voice and i've always said it when sophia would be there belting out calamity jane <laughs> literally i forgot to mention like the musical classics because calamity jane but <laughs> yeah bloody hell <laughs> oh, she's just fab um and so talented in so many different ways uh, one example being modelling as well as if you weren't you've got so many strings to your bow girl you're amazing but what um, don't you do yeah <laughs> what don't you do could you talk us through your modelling experiences and like how did you feel about that was it a positive experience a negative experience did it change your perception of yourself in a good way a bad way and yeah I'd love to know a bit more about it um so i think it was just it started off like very casual things just like the odd like small business in brighton or just for like friends of mine that were doing fashion they would have shoots and things and i'd just go on them and it was like really fun and just like hanging out with your mates and like vintage shops just like taking pictures and stuff but at the time i think i was like trigger warning well, I had like eating disorders for for a long time, but then I think it sort of there was like a peak moment when I was in uni and I'd like lost quite a lot of weight quite suddenly, and I wasn't well. But then being like validated all the time on my appearance, and I was like walking through Brighton, and a woman stopped me. She was like, "Hi, I." I'm like a scout for this agency in London. Do you want to come and model for us? I was like. All right then, um, so I just went, but at the same time I had um, I'd like applied to this competition or just been sent this like thing to do a shoot with ASOS and I got shortlisted and I went. So in this weekend I was like going to this agency and then doing the shoot with ASOS. So I had both these things in the same in the same weekend and then um, I went to this agency and they made me like wear these really high heels and never worn heels and I was like pottering about. And I was really self-conscious about my boobs. I've always had really huge boobs and I thought model, I, I, I didn't see models having boobs. So that was something that's, in my mind, that was like the thing that could hold me back. And then he's looking at me, this agent who is supposed to be my, who's gonna be my agent, he's looking at me, he's like, oh yeah, it's all really good apart from, and and then when he said that, I was like, is it my boobs? Is it because they're too big? He's like, no, it's not your boobs. It's the, this bit just between your hips and your waist, like you can do some work on this. He's like, you can do this exercise, this exercise, this exercise. Me being lame, I was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And then I sort of, I signed the contract 
and then when I was staying with my friend in London and I then had the ASOS shoot which went really well but then thinking about it and I was like I don't think I really do want to model because I went to Tesco to get a meal deal after I was like literally in the aisle at Tesco and I was like I don't even want to eat I don't even want to eat a sandwich, I don't even want to eat a salad. Just because of what this like man had said to me about things I could prove on my body, which was already like I was a size six, like I was literally a size six. So yeah, it was just like quite strange. And then I sort of emailed being like, can I not do this anymore actually? And just really trying to cut it all down and like stop having a relationship with anything to do with that and then had some time out. And I've put on weight since then, I've done like the odd shoot here or there, but not nothing like in the industry really, because I literally had like a tiny little taste, like the crumbs, and it was like, made me feel like shit. Yeah, it's just like finding people and places that want you for you, but I've not really tried to, I've not been searching, I've not been looking for an agency or anything like that because and I've got to at the time I was only really doing like a bit of music and then now I've just got too much to do to be thinking about like that um as a career or as a path if it happens it happens and like you get opportunities which um, I like had opportunities to work with photographers and things and I'll do that but it's not I'm not trying to be a model well the listeners can't see um but just for the record like Sophia is drop dead stunning she has been stunning always with always gorgeous figure and um it's just so shit that you know like because it's such a flattering thing to be scouted and then they Mm -hmm. get you in a room and degrade you and make you like pick you apart and it's just like you should be grateful for that I just find it weird and I think the modeling industry like a lot of the creative industries has a huge huge way to go because that is Mm -hmm. that's atrocious um Mm -hmm. but fuck it like you can be a model in on your own terms because you're just one in a million and and you're such a, a talented person with talents in so many different arenas and the one doesn't hold the other back. From what I can hear, it kind of sounds like you've got all your fingers in all these amazing pies and you kind of had lots of different like lives and like lived experiences. How do you think that all of these, you know, positive and negative have impacted your identity and the way you see yourself as a creative person, do you think? Um, there were times where if I'm like really deep into one area that I'm like wow I could really do this forever and then if I take a step back and then I'm looking at all the different um aspects of like my creative identity I get sometimes I get quite overwhelmed and then feel really inexperienced to do anything like I'm trying to apply to do producer roles now because I'm just like oh I want to know what the other side is like sort of thing I'm just like what do I know? (laughs) Like, I know nothing. Like, this, like, really very real imposter syndrome just, like, creeps in. Flits and floats between, like, confidence, self-confidence and just, like, extreme self-doubt. Especially last year when I was doing a lot of, um, I was doing, like, art. And I, I, I would never have called myself, I was just doing a bit of music and a bit of poetry. And all of a sudden I'm, like, in exhibition spaces and in galleries. And I've never seen my work in that capacity before so I felt so out of place in those spaces and like working with like my peers who went to art school and like have experiences curating their own exhibitions but then towards the end of that experience I'm like okay well I've done that 
so I could probably do it again and just like doing little bits of a lot of things and gradually building up my strengths I guess but it's still quite hard to feel completely secure in my abilities I guess but that's just that little voice in my head that's like you're shit <laughs> and I've got to be like no you're not so I don't know it's just about balance really I got some really good advice once about imposter syndrome which was like you have to big yourself up like your best friend would so I'm gonna Mm. give you that voice now to be like you're amazing (laughs) but also I know that both Mads and I have the little imposter syndrome that's like yeah shit Um, and it's something that everyone has and it's just oh. So you mentioned um, having your work um in an exhibition so I have a two-part question here what was it like having your very own exhibition and also how did you get involved with um creative youth network as well at the end of 2019 they were I was sent a it was like a creative futures it was like a creative futures program so it's like a six-month program for young emerging creatives and it's like a development program to help them develop as, as artists and at first I felt the imposter syndrome I was like I'm not an emerging artist who am I what the hell um, and then I applied and went to the interview stage like this group interview with like 20 people and we're all just like and there was only four roles but it was just basically a program to support us as artists help us connect with organizations around the city around so i live in bristol now so around the city of bristol and then there was like a little part of funding for an exhibition at the end of the six months so that was sort of what the program was about was about development and i went there as a writer essentially um so just having time to develop my work and think about i've never really thought of any of my works is cohesive there's never been like a project or like something which is whole it's just been like scraps of paper and like things on my laptop that I opened once and I've never looked at since so just to have this opportunity to create a body of work was really important and to create um, a network as well I've never I mean I had a network in, in Brighton but it was very much just peer-based so to have a network with organizations as well but then obviously corona hit so we it was sort of extended and I still got like a working relationship with the with people at the organization and still like sending opportunities my way and stuff at the end it was supposed to be an exhibition it got delayed to October and I was just the whole since it since January when it started the whole thing I was just like how do I make people engage with words like because most people find words so boring like Obviously we like poetry, but most people don't want to open a book of poetry and read poems. Like, even I find it boring sometimes and like draining. So I was just trying to think like, how do I engage people with words? And I was like, okay, it needs to be a space. Having audio as a part of it, because I was trying to experiment with music and poetry as well. So having, there's like four audio pieces, um, which you just like put your headphones on and it was like poems slash songs on instrumentals on these little like mp3 players and then there was like poetry on these big sheets in the space and then there was also um a small performance as well um so it's just like experimenting with form to try and get people to engage with the words and the story because there was a story of memory and identity looking back on like experiences that i had as a child that have informed me whether they be like traumatic or comforting um who's like made me how I am today. So just like thinking about it outside of the space and then trying to bring that into a space, it was like quite challenging, but 
rewarding, I mm. guess, because I'd never done anything like that before. Um, but I did have a lot of support. And the three other artists that I did the programme with were just so, like, one of them's a photographer, one of them's, like, um, installation media maker, um, one of them's a graphic designer, and they just all had so much... We just, like, really supported each other. Um, and it was really interesting because in that space I also had a part and they I could support them and I never thought of myself as an artist who could support another artist but then they could ask me questions about writing and I did like a shoot with one of them who's a photographer and just like engaging with each other as artists that I haven't really held that space before so that was really important to me. That's amazing. There's, there's so yeah. much about your work that is to do with like multimedia and trying something new and giving something new a go. And I think that's so inspiring and encouraging to a lot of people who probably maybe think they're in a box somewhere. And you've always said that eclectism and intersectionality is important to your work. Was there a moment, was there like a pinpoint where you realised that this was the case or has it just been carried on throughout your life? I don't know because all of these interests have always been here but it's just I've never really been able to feed them together because I feel like the society that we live in really has a lot of emphasis on choosing a flex <laughs> just like right so you're a theatre maker oh you're you're a writer you're a director like you're a poet and just pushing you to like go down that route because it's going to be hard and it's going to be long and it's going to be difficult and draining to put your all, all your energy into this one thing and I think there have been moments where I've tried to do that and then just been like what well, let's make my skin crawl like I want to explore with this a little bit more I want to like delve into this a bit more I think there have been moments where I've just said so especially like with music I was like I'm gonna be a musician I'm gonna do it and then just got sick of it. I was just like, this is, it's just a bit boring because you, I'm just like sing, writing these songs about like love and then performing in the same like environment and just not really expanding. And I feel like for me to expand, I had to like collaborate with myself essentially and just sort of start picking up these like different things that I find interesting and starting to like sew them together and like, I don't know, create a, a, a larger picture. And I don't by any means think that I, understand where I'm going to be or even where I'm at but just I just know there are a lot of things that I'm interested in and just like whenever I feel to take a part of one of those things I will but not feeling pressure to to use all these versions of myself at once. And how do you feel that your creative work has allowed you to explore your identity as a black Moroccan woman? It's helped me a lot. I do like to call my writing therapy because if I'm feeling shit and like I don't really know why I'll just like whack on an instrumental, sing to myself and just like try and clear my headspace or just like open my laptop and just type until I feel emptied out essentially. So I think, I think it was maybe like a year or two ago I really started to consider my Moroccanness because I went to Morocco for a month and I'd always sort of thought about I've, I'd always considered my blackness but not really not that deeply being in that environment that I hadn't been in since I was a child I just had to really think about what that meant to me so I started doing a lot of writing about it and I'd, I've never written about that before I'd never written about that before but it was the only way I knew how to understand how I felt because I felt like a disenfranchisement to my own culture 
but I didn't know why. And then to interrogate my identity in like a loving and comfortable way alongside my black identity as well was just like heartbreaking, but also it was like marvelous because I've never been given the space to even consider this. Cause especially like in school, it's just like, oh, I'm just like mixed race, so I'm just black and like everyone else is white and that's just how it is. And there wasn't really any depth to my identity or like from the outset anyway, it was just like, an acknowledgement of my difference, but I think I'm at a time and place in my life where I can really consider those experiences and aspects of my identity and how it's affected my life and how it will affect my future. It definitely sounds like, I mean, you know, it, it does sound like you put so much of yourself into your work. What is that outlet for you like emotionally and mentally? Does there come a line where you need to stop or does there come a line where you're like, no, I need to keep going? I only really now am I starting to put down boundaries because I feel like it was, I would feel some type of way, I'd write about it and then I'd release it or I'd see who wanted to use it or I'd like see who this can connect with. And that was fine for a while until I started to acknowledge that when I do that, it's not mine anymore because then people have a stake in what I've shared. And sometimes that's fine. If I'm comfortable enough with that emotion, then it's fine. But sometimes I've not even processed it yet and already it's out there for people to to access. Another trigger warning, I was feeling extremely depressed. I was having suicidal thoughts and I wrote a piece about that feeling and it was so real and it was so raw and I enjoyed listening to it back so much because it was so beautiful as well. And I just kept listening to it and listening to it and I was like, I need to get to the studio. Literally went to the studio and we were working on it and then the producer I was I was working with, we were like trying to make it catchy and then I was getting like really overwhelmed. I was like, this is not, It's making. it was making me really uncomfortable. And literally I'd rushed like five steps ahead of where I was capable of being. And I hadn't processed how I felt. I hadn't processed how to move past this point. I hadn't understood what I need to change in my life to get to a place of happiness and peace. And already I was like, let's let's capitalize on my pain so i think since that point i've really tried to put boundaries down in my work and like be sort of in a space like, okay this this is for me if i'm writing i'm writing and until i understand exactly what it is that i wrote and exactly why i wrote it no one's gonna see it it is it, ha- it has been difficult and speaking to other creatives as well other people in my network is there's this like similar feeling because capitalism just makes us think that like everything is about profit and everything is about sharing and everything's about money and like I think to take a step back and think okay being creative is an intrinsic part of our being so let it be that let it just be a part of us a part like I don't know there are other parts of yourself you don't share with people like maybe like your sexual side of yourself like sexual intimacy that's not something that everyone knows about because you know as a person that that's well another I don't know if this is you can cut this out, but <laughs> like when I wank, I wank alone. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's not for everyone. <laughs> that's not for everyone. So <laughs> when I'm writing a poem or like a story that's like about a really intimate experience in my life and my past, that doesn't have to be for everyone. But I think we're made to think that like creative work is to be capitalized on because there's a creative industry. It's a bit mad that like being creative is an industry. So it's just like putting down those boundaries and those barriers and just reminding yourself that it's okay to just, to, to be creative for yourself. 
of your own well-being. I mean, I completely agree with that. Like, I have a book upstairs with so many poems that I've written and I will not be sharing any of them because, like, they're clumsy mm-hmm. and they're not, like, well-written, you know, like a, a poet mm-hmm. would write them, but they helped me at the time. So I completely, completely agree. So we've got um, another question here. Obviously, our industry has a long, long way to go in terms of diversity and representation of marginalized groups so our question to you is how best do you think that this industry can be diversified and what steps do you think need to be taken um i think it's really important that the industry has a more vast face i suppose just having opportunities for marginalized groups i think is really important and in every in every space as well because I feel like it's like okay there's an entry-level job and we might hire like a POC but it's just like okay so the bottom sector of this industry you'll like be inclusive but like it needs to be on every level so there's a it changes the face of the industry not just like the um superficial sort of surface something else is putting more money in individuals and smaller like grassroots groups because I feel like in larger organisations or organisations that have been funded for a long time and are more established there is very much an nepotistic culture and I think in those spaces the same type of people are being hired or being being included in funding. Because we all came up at the same time at the amazing Severian uh, College. Well, I would say that the drama department was a really, really great place to mm-hmm. be and to find yourself and to be creative and have fun. And to be honest, um, a faculty that still is very supportive of its students when they've left. So um, our question is, has performance always been something that you were interested in? And what made you pick drama at college, actually? I'd love to know this. Um, Yeah, I've always loved performance, but I've not always been confident enough to perform. Like, I've always loved the idea of performance. Yeah, I remember, like, getting up in school in year seven in front of, like, my music class and just singing and then just like crying for days after because I was so embarrassed and then did sang once at school assembly in year 10 and was so embarrassed because the guitar player cancelled last minute so I was on stage doing acapella for my whole year like so like I had really traumatic performance experiences and I was like I'm not going to perform again and then but I did really I really really enjoyed drama in high school but I just didn't pick it for GCSE so I only did it for like two years I think I had not necessarily a lot of pressure but I think maybe internalised pressure on what was expected of me and that was to be more academic and more academically focused and then when I got to pick my A-levels now I was like I had four options so I could pick three academic ones then one little like fun that's what most people do just like a little fun one and I knew drama was like quite similar to English Lit as well like the theory side of it and I was like well I'm doing English Lit anyway I was just down to do something a bit different and just a bit more experimental and just open up that side of myself a bit more so yeah I picked drama A level and just had a blast I just I don't know it's just when I think back to it it's just so funny and also just there were times where we were so embarrassing as well so we just sing musical theatre to each other just like when I think about it it just makes me want to cry like but it was really fun Such a good time. and like we were in um, a production together 
we all we had to do like a play at the end of the, we were all in the same class in first year weren't we and um we got given like a piece at the end of the year didn't we that we would perform to like our family and friends and that'd be our exam and me and yeah. so were in the same one <laughs> and I can honestly say we were Ant and Deck. there's so many amazing stories and like Bronte tell the world about our collaboration okay so what the listeners don't know is that not only did we all go to college together we all probably had one of our first professional big in the industry experiences together where we did Shakespeare's Twelfth Night in a basement of a pub so this included Sophia playing Malvolio and then chasing Madeline through three different rooms because we basically had the whole of the downstairs because it's the world's tiniest space. It was a beer cellar, really, wasn't it? Like, oh, yeah, you, you could hear people going to the toilet and then the, the pipes coming through down. Iconic. But it was Manchester Fringe Festival. Festival. The worst performance I've ever done, like myself, I mean, the production was great, but my personal performance... It was, it's Shakespeare. I was performing it like I was London Palladium Panto. <laughs> no, but that's what it is though. It's, yeah, it it's supposed to be stupid. Sophia yeah. was running around wearing yellow tights. Yellow tights on Madeline. Oh, we had some great times at, at college and everything. Like it was so fun. I mean, mm-hmm. we, it was, I don't know when we first met Soph. Like I can't remember the day. Um, I was so lucky to find one of my really great friends that day so mm. thank you <laughs> so it's like mm. <laughs> no i want to give you a moment to shine baby <laughs> so important it's your episode soap's like yeah um it was the worst day of my life <laughs> oh, and here i am she's still after me no i'm messing no honestly madeline healy what an enigma having a friend next to you he's just like yeah let's just do it let's just like do this let's just perform let's just and I was like all right then <laughs> yeah why not I think it, being friends with you in that class and being paired together and things like that and like choosing to do um performances together really really helped me with my performance confidence seriously I think you are you are someone that when I or anyone surrounds themselves with you you bring out the best in everyone you are hard-working creative kind generous you help people if they are struggling with work it has been such a pleasure to have you on today so thank you so much thank you for having me thank you both for having me so it's a bye from me bye and it's a bye from me bye and it survived from me. Bye. <laughs>